welcome to the edition with me, your host, Charlotte Henry. Uh, this week, I'm joined to discuss a really interesting topic by Adam Tinworth, who, when I asked him to int- how to introduce him, he gave a very long and impressive list of all sorts of things, including extensively blogging on the media, lecturing on the media, having been a journalist for many years. So, Adam, thank you for bringing your experience and expertise to the show. Uh, no doubt. Well, this conversation was prompted by a piece you wrote on on your blog, which is aptly titled "One Man and His Blog," um, about Facebook and its its breakup with journalism and the news industry. Uh, you called it Facebook's long slow breakup with journalism, which I think is right because when the news broke uh, kind of earlier this month that Facebook, well, Meta, the Facebook parent company, was reallocating resources from Facebook News and the newsletter platform Bulletin and focusing on the creator economy. That's what the Wall Street Journal reported. Um, I was kind of surprised it's got so much attention because I sort of had forgotten the news tab and bulletins existed and assumed people only cared about creators anyway. So I was surprised it's got so much attention because I thought it had happened already, basically. Um, But no, this is now an official thing. And you gave an interesting perspective on it, which was actually maybe it's kind of a good for everyone. It's a kind of mutual breakup that kind of works for everyone. You know, Facebook doesn't want to be a publisher. We know this. It gets scared of the of what comes with that and the accountability and the you know possible legal issues that come with that. News publishers don't like giving their stuff to Facebook for free. So maybe this suits everyone. The relationship with Facebook and news has always been slightly difficult. Um, And I think it took an awful long time for the news industry to realise they were not the senior partner in the relationship. So I certainly, I remember having conversations back when I had a real job in a publishing company uh, in the late 2000s. But, you know, as Facebook started to come forward and everyone got very enthusiastic about it. And I was always slightly nervous. Um, It was, you know, uh, Facebook very evidently from quite early on wanted to sort of supplant the web and be a replacement for the web for everybody. And at least part of the reason I suspect that Facebook's backing away from news is that that's no longer its ambition. Uh, It's not trying to supplant the web for everybody. It sees the future potentially in uh, VR or AR or the metaverse. So it's you know it, it's think it's clear at a strategic level, it thinks it's done as much as it can in the traditional web environment and is moving elsewhere. But also you know by the mid, twenty tens it was very clear that the relationship between news and Facebook was uneasy, and particularly as Facebook became a vector for so much misinformation, polarization, and even yeah, polarizing accurate reporting. Um, the problems that started brewing around Facebook from then onwards and sort of the congressional committees and so on made it clear that maybe the value that news was bringing to the Facebook um, ecosystem was not matched, was as outmatched perhaps by the problems that came with circulating journalism via it. Yeah, I, I think the basic summary after all these years of Facebook trying is more trouble than it's worth, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. For Facebook, um, uh, the newsletter thing was interesting, but uh, you and said felt- Facebook clearly no longer sees Substack as a threat. Obviously, 
I'm on Substack. I use Substack. It's the basis of the edition. So I like I it. Was, it was just Facebook's reflexive. Um, whenever right. anything might look like competition, let's build something to counter it. And then they sort of looked at where Substack was going. Well, actually, you know, whatever the role of this is, it's probably not a, you know, a big enough or a big enough thing to be a threat to what we do, at least from sure. the perspective it is. And Substack has got its own, you know, not massive, but it's got its own challenges right now in that um, the, the classic startup model of just keep raising money and keep raising money and worry about profitability later is clearly not going to work right at this point in time with the, the funding drought clearly still an issue for them. So they've had their little layoff. Um, and, you know, they're clearly tightening their belts to try and make sure they survive the current period of financial tightness. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that sort of excitement about that as a future threat has gone away. You know, it's, it's not where Facebook sees it going. It doesn't see it taking a huge amount of subscription, of, sorry, cash away from it. So why would you worry about it? Yes. Um, yeah, that's quite an interesting perspective, actually. As I say, full disclosure, obviously. And please do go to Substack and subscribe to the edition newsletter because I'd be uh, very keen to have you on board. But um, there's also this... Let's go back to the, the, the fundamental thing, we discussed, which is this uneasy relationship between Facebook and news publishers. Um, and I also wonder if Apple has maybe found a better model for some ways with News Plus, which is, you know, bundled into its top tier Apple One bundle, uh, or you can take out a separate, separate subscription. And actually, if you even if you take out the separate subscription, easy for me to say, um, the kind of caliber of publications in there, probably you're getting more than your money's worth. If you took out an individual subscription to all the things you might want to read in News Plus you're probably getting good value for money already for having it. Do you think, what is there a fundamental difference in approach do you think Facebook and Apple have had? Sorting intermediary i mean there's always been an algorithm deciding which elements of the news you see and which ones you don't and that's always had some downsides i mean the facebook algorithm is clearly a lot slower to show stuff than twitter is for example i remember during one particular terrorism event of all things somebody rather caustically commenting i look forward to seeing this trending on facebook sometime tomorrow afternoon um because that's all you know facebook takes it is grim but i know what you mean yeah yeah um, um, but but with Apple, I mean, I've always I've, I'm I know there's a lot of skepticism out there about Apple News. I'm perhaps a little bit more of a fan than some people are, just because to me it looks like a classic piece of what a business I used to work for uh, used to describe as an egg white um, model. So the idea that you have wait, we're Friday. cooking breakfast now. No, I wish. I didn't actually have any eggs for breakfast. We were out this morning, so I'm clearly they're on my mind. But um, running down our food stocks for a camping trip. Um, but fried eggs was our model. Basically, the egg yolk was your core audience. This was a B2B publisher. 
um, and the core audience was your egg yolk. These were people within your profession, the profession they were trying to reach, who would either be you know, monetizable through high value advertising because people were reaching out to this specific audience or often through paid um, products of various sorts. Uh, B2B having been you know, significantly ahead of, say, newspapers in getting decent working paywalls up. But then there was the egg white audience, which was people who are probably never going to pay you directly, but are still occasionally interested in what you write about. And therefore, you can monetize in more simple ways, often just through run of, run of site advertising, stuff like that. So classically, at the time I worked for this company, it owned titles like Flight Global, an aviation title. And clearly, while there's lots of aviation professionals, there are lots of also aviation enthusiasts, shall we call them politely, um, who will certainly come and read stuff about big new aircraft development or air crashes or whatever it might be. The same is true to some degree with titles like Farmers Weekly. You've got your sort of core audience of farmers who will pay for certain things, but then you've got a wider sort of rural interested audience who might be monetized in other ways. For me, Apple News has always sat in that model that it's a good way of getting money out of people who are probably never going to be your direct subscribers. Always the trick with that is making sure you don't end up cannibalizing your likely um, mm. subscribers. And lots of consumer mags have done interesting things around that, like trying to turn subscriptions into sort of more of a membership model. Um where you sort of become a member, a supporter of the title, and you get extra things. So as yeah. well as the print edition, you get you know, badges and discounts and access to events and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's a way you can make money out of an audience you wouldn't reach otherwise. Plus, also, if you're clever and you've got a decent audience engagement strategy, it's a way you can use it as a sort of top end of the funnel model to draw people down who might eventually subscribe. And yeah. you know, certainly Apple News supports independent subscriptions within the app. Yeah, because of course there's a difference between Apple News Plus, yep. which is the monthly service where you get all sorts of magazines, um, and Apple, Apple News, News, the yes. app, which is a bit more akin to the Facebook model, where they have a deal with a partner outlet to to you know publish certain articles. That, you know, you don't get the full publication, yeah. but you'll see certain articles not behind the publisher's paywall, but within the Apple News app. Um, it's interesting things like. Places like The Guardian um, have left Apple News now. MIT New York Times Famous did that quite early on, actually. I think mm -hmm. they lasted about a year, didn't they? And then sort of found that they were generating enough money behind their own payroll. They didn't need anyone else to help them, and that was more successful. So it's it's an interesting model. Um, the big, another big thing you mentioned, though, when, which is different to the Apple News and News Plus model, when it comes to Facebook, is how it was a driver of local news and a supporter of local news with its partnerships program. Yes. And both in the UK and the US, and I, I imagine other markets that I'm less familiar with, the demise of local news is a huge issue. Now, of course, what you and I mean by local news is very different to what they mean by local news in the US, mm -hmm. where... You know, some of the size of the so-called local papers would cover the pub. You know, the publications that we're yes. are national here we would cover that audience size. It's the classic but, thing that where we have national news, U.S. titles have regional news. Where right. we have international news, they have U.S. national news. Yeah, exactly. But um, there is a look. There is a black hole of money there. That's kind of. And it's not, you know, we can make the wider points about democracy and so on, where people need to know what their local 
councillors or senators or you know of any level politicians are doing but it's also not good for the news industry if uh, local if local journalism dies does it it's always been a very good feeding mm. ground for good journalists uh, yeah i mean face the face the relationship between facebook and local news is fascinating if only because facebook has eaten up so much of the local news attention uh, for a little while, whenever anybody I knew was going to go and do a placement or spend some while on one of the local papers that remain, uh, my standard tip, which always paid off for them, was to join every Facebook group associated with that town or region, um, and you will find every story you need in there, pretty much. There's still, you can break stories, but you know, look for the unanswered questions in these groups, then go and ask the questions. Um, however, it is worse. There was certainly a period of time when my local paper, which is not really a local paper anymore, it's a, you know, half a day of a journalist time a week, you know, sort of wider regional paper, um, which could be pretty much described as last, you know, last week's Facebook group today, you know, to the point they were literally ripping off photos and stuff from the Facebook group <laughs> rather than oh rather than generating. Yeah. I was going to ask you where the publication was, but I think we won't do that now that you said that. Yes. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I, there is clearly a future that needs to happen for local news. I suspect it probably will happen. If I were to place a bet, which I'm not going to, but if I was going to place a bet, I suspect it would be something like the Manchester Mill model, something that's a little bit less, you know, breaking news. Here's the local MP shaking hands and handing over a cheque. Uh, a little bit more sort of, you know, here's the stories you need to know in your local area. Just briefly um, explain to either non-Manchester or non-UK people the Manchester Mill model. Okay, it's a Substack. It's Substack again. It's a, news it's a newsletter on Substack um, that is subscriber-driven and which does sort of more in-depth reporting on local issues rather than the, you know, run-of-the-local news stories. And I suspect if you're going to find a sustainable model for local news, it's more likely to emerge out of you know, newsletters like that, finding their origins and growing and building a sustainable, if small, revenue stream rather than the big publishers scaling down. I mean, you know, good, good luck to Reach and their ilk in the UK and the others elsewhere in finding new models to sustain their journalism. They're doing interesting things. But a lot of what they do tends to pull away from genuinely local reporting. And I'm not sure that you know building a future for local news on facebook's generosity is necessarily a particularly sustainable model no indeed but do we have an idea of what level that generosity was at what kind of money was pumping I... into local news and was it more that was presumably more us based than it was here in the uk well no it was in the uk as well but they 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 did something not unlike the uh, the bbc local democracy right scene where they were basically funding the training and the first year of uh, you know, trainee reporters on local papers. So uh, lots of local papers, including largely, I would say, the big publications were um, getting you know, a year and a bit of some of a journalist's time for free, funded by Facebook, Facebook. To, to write you know, local stories. Um, but we don't kind of know, have a grand total number of what that is. But, uh, you know, these things we, are we not insignificant. I, I suspect two minutes Googling or a look at Press Gazette will probably tell me the answer, but I don't have it off the top of my head. Uh, no, and I, I suspect that, uh, yeah, Facebook probably would be keen to tout it as well. But, uh, no, it does make a difference getting people into newsrooms. But as you say, I suspect 
relying on the bank account of Mark Zuckerberg is not the way to yeah, to I, reignite local journalism. I think it's been a while since the major route into mainstream news was, you know, do a, do a while on a local paper mm. and then make your way up to the, the, the mainstream nationals. I think that it's not completely gone, but it's, it's nowhere as big as it was when I entered the industry in the 90s. Uh, that was pretty much default. You know, you're two ways onto a national if you wanted to do it in the 90s, where you spent a couple of years working on local, then you got a shift on the national. Um, you knew somebody on a national, so probably the third way, or you, uh, a lot of my contemporaries, they spent a couple of years working on a B2B magazine, and then they got a uh, step up onto the business desk of one of the nationals. I mean, that's the routine traditionally. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we could have a whole different conversation about what the the impact of those routes closing are and, you know, what that, that does, again, both in the US and the UK. It's, there's been a huge, huge shift from those things. But I first want to take a pause and thank today's sponsors, who are business capital providers. Could your business use additional cash flow to help it grow or just get through a temporary rough spot? If so... Our friends at Business Capital Providers may be just the help you are looking for. They specialise in funding small and medium-sized businesses quickly without lengthy paperwork or strict collateral requirements. Go to bcproviders.com addition to find out how you can get funded for as much as $250,000 in as little as 72 hours. You must have been in business for one year and produce revenue of at least $25,000. But the process is quick and easy. A one-page application requiring six months of bank statements. Business capital providers give fast results with no collateral required. When banks say no, business capital providers say yes. Visit bcproviders.com slash addition to find out more. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show. I'm back here with Adam Timworth and we're discussing Facebook's long, slow and maybe depressing, maybe happy breakup with the news industry. Do you think, Adam, that the news industry and you work with lots of different people, both you know, young people wanting to go into the industry, the people that might employ them and so on. Do you think Facebook people in a way became kind of a bit negligent, a bit you know, relying on, not just on local, but on, you know, recalibrated too much to do what Facebook wanted them to do. Oh, to make gosh, absolutely. Uh, it's, this is something I'm very passionate and slightly bitter about, frankly. So if you look at sort of the late 2000s into even the early 2010s, there were lots of interesting um, audience developments, as we call it now, but we didn't call it that, we call it community, largely initiatives going on across the industry people were building their own forums they were you know actively managing their communities in their comments section they were doing lots of interesting relationship building stuff and at some point in the early 2010s everybody went actually let's not bother let's just get like a facebook to do all of that and they pretty much gave up community to uh, community relationship building to facebook they just handed that over and certainly by the you know, the latter part of the 2010s, you're seeing basically everybody just doing, okay, we SEO this, we Facebook, we stick it on Facebook. That's pretty much our job done. And that as a model started eroding from sort of 2016 onwards. 
you know, in the in, by 2018, we have that sort of major pullback of the algorithm from um, organic traffic to news sites, the Facebookalypse, as some people within the news industry called it, the increasing focus on groups um, for Facebook generally, you know, uh, rather than the main feed, that, you know, encouraging people to spend more time in groups, you know, seeing more and more of group activity in their feeds rather than friends and family shared stuff. Yeah, that all started damaging that relationship. Um, the immediate reaction of a lot of people was one of two things, either to just Facebook harder, do what they were doing, but harder, which didn't really benefit them much. There was a very big switch back to SEO. Um, mm -hmm. uh, lots and lots of people got interested in Google again. Um, I spent a lot of time doing, and I have done for the last four or five years, done a lot of SEO-based training courses and consultancy of people who suddenly realized they need to wake up to that again once Facebook pulled the plug on traffic. But I think fundamentally there's a, there's a deeper problem coming. Uh, well, this is, really comes up with the students I lecture at City, which is very few of them come in with Facebook accounts anymore. Many of them, particularly on this sort of the audience strategy cohorts I taught. Well, you say this, and I looked, and I think I wrote, mentioned in a previous post, the Ofcom stats about where people get their news from. And I was sort of surprised how high up Facebook still was even in the 15 to 25 group. Yeah, I, I mean, it depends a little bit. I mean, it depends what you mean, Facebook or Meta at all. No, whole, this was the Ofcom data, and that was my first thought. Oh, they mean Instagram. It's interesting. But, it, no, but it they is, actually it, meant it, Facebook itself, which I kind it's of found high amazing. up, but it's, it's definitely in a decline. Mm. Um, and there seems to be some socioeconomic variance in the people who use it. Interesting. So... Uh, I would say, on average, you know, a lot of the students we get are, you know, slightly up the higher up the socio-economic bracket because of the way the route's in, not entirely, but um, very few of them, as I said, do have Facebook accounts at this part, this point in time. One of them rather memorably said to me um, last year, "Why would I want to go where my racist uncle is?" Which is, yeah. there's a little bit of that, the irony that. Facebook, which started off as a site for students, is now largely associated with older people being ranty. Um, there's a little bit going on there. Listen, as someone who has two lovely uncles, you know, I'm going to defend the uncle demographic and listenership of this show. But um, well, I am an uncle, so I need to. Well, there you go. Here. See, if there's there's the proof. But um, there, there there obviously has been a problem. I, you know, Facebook. I remember. God, this is going to age me. I remember the excitement of when I became a student in 2006 that I could actually get a Facebook account. That was quite a big thing because you had a university email address. Yes, I wasn't on that until 2007 because I was in work by then. Right, exactly. So that was all terribly exciting. But yes, it ha has totally changed. And I th also think the data we see and actually the, f the conversation we've had about, you know, how new dependent news has been on facebook uh shows just how distorted us as journalists our perception can be when we obsess over twitter so much yes absolutely because often that is not really where the action is is it no um a former student of mine who was at the sun for a while uh, in their audience department did say to me in fact she didn't just say to me she said the class because she, she was back doing a sort of guest lecture for her her successors um, and she said, actually, Twitter very rarely came up in their planning because, you know, overall, as a proportion of their traffic at the time, it was fairly low. Exactly. And look, we can't discuss all of this without discussing the pivot to video. 
I'm I'm slightly lost which way we're pivoting now. Has well, no, we're, we are, we're sort of pivoting back, but apart from Instagram, which sort of pivoted towards and now is now pivoting away again. So uh, I mean, uh, you you can see why I'm a bit not just uh, I, I'm a bit kind of lost which way I'm pivoting uh, with all of this. But yes, it's been you know video. Uh, I mean, a lot of publications changed their whole strategy, didn't they? they really did. doubled and some down died as a result. And absolutely, some of them had serious financial problems because they focused so much on fa- video on Facebook and Facebook, with a snap of its fingers, took that uh, that audience away. Yeah, I mean, Facebook did some very odd things. Um, a bunch of um, graduates from the MA Interactive Journalism, which is one of the courses I teach on the city, actually became the Mail Online's first social video team uh, for various complicated reasons. And um, I remember sitting with them in the New York office for a little while, some years back, and actually seeing the figures from them about watching their sort of the organic growth they were getting through their videos, doing really well in those early stages. And then suddenly abrupt stop, you know, massive drops in that reach that would last three days and then kick off again. Um, and then, you know, they go for a couple of weeks with, you know, steady growth and then that sudden drop again. And then it kicked off again three days each time. And it was very clear that there was an artificial breaking going on from Facebook. They were stopping people growing too fast, only one site growing too fast in the algorithm, which was fascinating. And uh, Mm. that manipulation happens both ways. If Facebook wants video to be a thing, they can make it a thing. But that doesn't turn that by shoving it in our faces repeatedly by tweaking the algorithm. It's always driven by competition. You know, the first pivot to video was, oh, look, YouTube are making loads of money on ads. Can we have that money? And then the sort of second pivot was somewhat driven by um, worries that Snapchat was going to be a major competitor, which didn't really turn out to be the case. It's just not how people use Snapchat at all, is it? No, uh, it's a very different thing. And, you know, Snapchat has found, you know, has found a consistent audience, but it's a relatively, it's a bit like Twitter has become sort of a niche product that's beloved by a certain group of people, but it's not, it's certainly not widespread. Um, and then the latest one is, of course, driven by the, the, the existential fear of TikTok. Yes, whether that's Instagram Reels, whether, I mean, YouTube, obviously, reacting with YouTube Shorts. Yeah. Um, I find, I mean, again, I'd, I'll have to get you back on the show because, you know, we'll be pushing for time. But um, this idea of TikTok as a news platform. I am deeply unconvinced by. You know, oh, I turn on TikTok. I might, dis- I might disagree with okay, you. Okay, go on. Let me there. make the case for case for the prosecution. Um, I dis- I don't I use TikTok because it's fun and it's, you know, I get funny, clever, creative people producing video on there. I get some either, you know, very low budget stuff or some very that's just fun to watch or some very high budget stuff that's like comedy and sketches and those kind of things and frankly i use tiktok as an escape from the news yep which i understand the, the the thing i don't want when i go onto the news onto tiktok is people commenting on the news stories i've been reading or writing about myself or you know it's it's an i see it as a platform for escape now of course I can set up my TikTok at the moment, at least, to do that while other people can make it a news platform if they so choose. You can design who you follow. You can design your For You page. I I don't think TikTok's ever going to be inherently a news platform for anyone. But more news outlets are joining it. 
But what I think it's going to be, in terms of the consumer, I don't think it's ever going to be a news platform. Right. I think what's going to happen is that occasionally going to get little bursts of unexpected news that if it's in the right format and told in the right way, they will actually engage with. So it's, to, to get an apologies to non-British um, listeners here, but it's a bit like being a child in the 80s and watching children's BBC um, and then you suddenly got news round and you got this sort of 10 minute burst of news, which you yes. couldn't quite escape. But if it was told in an entertaining enough format, you would actually watch and learn something about the world. And I, I suspect most of the news that's finding its way into people's uh, feeds is of that sort. Um, but, you know, we've seen BBC and Vice. And BBC's got a weird relationship with TikTok. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of... Uh, uh, we don't think TikTok's worthwhile. Two weeks later, we're launching a TikTok team. Okay. Yeah. Love to have been a fly in the wall in the politics of that one. Would have been an interesting conversation. But also, you know, the Washington Post was quite early in on TikTok. Um, Um, I'm seeing Knowles' team at the Telegraph uh, in the UK, you know, with some of the Ukraine stuff they're doing, they're getting very, very good viewer numbers on. And I think because it's interesting, because it's factual, because it's presented in a visual way and it doesn't go on too long and it's not too lecturing in style, people will sit and watch because actually they get. You know, 90 seconds which update them um, on what is happening in Ukraine and then they click onwards and they uh, enjoy somebody dancing to music, you know, whatever uh, it may be. I think you've got hit on something else, actually, which is that TikTok as a kind of news platform, I think works very well for the individual journalists. I quite, maybe this is just because I'm a media nerd, but I quite like the behind-the-scenes nature of reporters sharing TikToks of them out doing reporting in various forms or clips of their reports. I think it's incredibly important because right. we, we have we have an incredibly big trust problem in news, mm-hmm. um, at which mm-hmm. the, the Reuters the Digital uh, Reuters News Institute, uh, Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism, I'll get it right eventually, have proven again and again with their recent research. Yes. And I, but I think humanising and showing the faces behind the news. But also, you know, people actually putting themselves in harm's way, I think, does goes a long way to counter some of the worst narratives that are circulating around journalists. And I think people always gravitate towards the how can we do news on this platform, forgetting that some of it is actually about relationship building and awareness and actually building emotional connections Mm. with journalists and the storytelling and then the title, which it's very hard to prove in analytics terms. But the, the overall idea is that you're building a relationship that will lead to readership and loyalty and relationship that will eventually bring somebody into your wider orbit. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, you know, I'm not particularly interested in seeing the BBC producing a 90-minute version of a news clip that I've already read the story of. But I, I also appreciate I'm not the average news consumer. You know, I could probably consume more news than most people. And so maybe that's a good way to get a story to some people who wouldn't have seen the story before. Yeah, but I, I do also think... very face-based, very personality-based. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Into the nature of the medium. Uh, uh, one thing I don't think we'll see is the kind of news programme that we've been discussing that Facebook did with something like TikTok. I suspect, given its connections to, the, to China and the Chinese authorities, that would yes. become deeply problematic very, very quickly. I I think the relationship between TikTok and China is and will continue to be a quite a big problem. Mm. And while I am not of the camp that says we should ignore TikTok, 
I also should, I, you know, being generally slightly platform skeptic anyway. You know, I think platforms are a useful way to build, bring readers into journalism, but I think you need to build direct relationships once you've brought them in. Um, however, with TikTok, I would always caution about against going all in just because the political situation could so easily go south between yeah. China and the rest of the world, particularly if they decide to get a little bit more interest in Taiwan than they are currently. In the same way that Russia got a bit more interest in Ukraine, we could see a big change on those sort of things very swiftly. Yes, yeah, so it will be. It, I mean, it's a huge topic. That's a fascinating topic to dive into. Um, just to I mean, kind of go back to the Facebook thing. Though, yes, it's, I was. It's you know, it's about platform dependence. You know, you never, never, ever become dependent on a platform. Well, I, I wonder. Algorithm. I wonder. My final question really is: Do you think people have learned the lesson from the <laughs> no. face? Oh, okay. I was trying I mean, to end I on really, an optimistic I really, note. I really wish they would, and the smarter people do. But we do seem. I mean, I've been doing. I mean, I've been doing editorial digital development work for seventeen years now, something like that, which is terrifying. But it just goes through circles, and people forget. Uh, we we are as an industry, journalism is terrible for institutional knowledge retention. I think my favourite example was some years ago when the Guardian launched their daily new, uh, politics podcast. They went, you know, here's the Guardian's first daily politics podcast. And a bunch of former Guardian people went, hang on. No, oh, this is the second. We did this eight years ago and you've just forgotten all about it. Oh, yes. Um, yes. So you don't think people have learned the lesson from Facebook and some, its various pivots? Some people have. Some people haven't. And people will continue not to. Mm. And part of that's just about turnover of staff and people moving around, you know, uh, Journalism is an industry that does tend to to chew up people and spit them out sometimes, um, and you know keeping people who've had a consistent history uh, of dealing with Facebook and doing audience work is it's just not there yet, mm. and so you know, things happen and people chase the quirks of the algorithm or opportunities for revenue, and they forget that this has happened two or three times before. MG Siegler uh, made the comparison. With, uh, Facebook and journalism with uh, Lucy holding the uh, mm -hmm. the football for Charlie Brown from yes. the Peanuts cartoons and constantly pulling it away and Charlie Brown never quite learning and yeah you know, he's right we never do quite learn we sort of fall back too easily on traffic from Google or traffic from Facebook or traffic from wherever it might be and forget that it's great as a top end of the funnel play building and acquiring relationships with readers but you need to start building direct relationships with readers, which is where, for example, you know, journalistic you know, brands attached newsletters come into play yeah. because they are a direct relationship rather than an algorithm-mediated relationship. I said that was my final question, but actually I've got one more based on that answer. I'm sorry for doing this to you. But okay. it, it occurs to me, given that we've had this back and forth over the years, whether it's Facebook's interest in news, whether it's the pivot to and from video, do you think in a year... 18 months, two years, we, you and I could be having a conversation again because Facebook suddenly got interested in news again? I don't know. That's an, in, that's an interesting question. But for the first time, I have a strong sense that Meta as an organisation, which really means Zuckerberg, because the, the way the organisation yeah, is structured, yeah, yeah. he is you know, he is an autocrat within his own company. Particularly with Sheryl Sandberg leaving on the way yes, out. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I don't think he's very interested in Facebook anymore. Okay. It's 
the evidence is clear that he sees the future in other directions and therefore it's about sort of maintaining Facebook and you know the memo went out this week about them tightening their belts and maybe losing some people from the company I think the focus is going to be maintaining the platforms as they are while trying to make sure he's on the front of the metaverse train now I will say I am something of a metaverse skeptic oh that makes two of us Yes, I'm not sure this is a pivot that's going to work out particularly well for the company, but I don't see I don't see the same ruthless defense of the big blue site over all other things that perhaps we have seen historically. Mm-hmm. So I do think something has changed structurally at Meta that makes me wonder whether actually this might well truly be the the final divorce between Facebook and news. Interesting. Well, we can come back and discuss news in the metaverse at another time. The horror doesn't bear thinking about um adam thank you so much for joining me where can people keep up with all your work easiest place to catch up with me is at my site which is one man and his blog one man and his blog.com and yes for the brits the older brits here that is a terrible pun on one man and his dog yeah. which was a televised sheepdog trials show uh, which is a very difficult thing to explain to singaporean journalists which i have <laughs> to do Otherwise, you can find me at at Adders, um, as in a large number of snakes, Adders on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Charlotte A. Henry on the Twitters. And look, if you're listening to this show, you probably know how to find a podcast, but you can get it in Apple, Spotify or wherever else you get your shows. You can get it from a Substack too. It's theedition.substack.com. That's where I put out the newsletter as well. So do please consider taking out either a free or paid subscription. It all helps keep the show on the road. And I'll see you next week.